Welcome to the Washington Church Toledo Podcast. Together, we are learning to encourage one another to walk with God through cultivating a personal relationship with Jesus the Christ. This podcast consists of recordings from our Sunday morning worship services and other teaching events that you are more than welcome to come join us live. So I get the privilege of introducing our speaker tonight, our speaker Savannah Martin. She's right here. She's the one familiar face in the room. She runs what's now called Bella Vita. It used to be the pregnancy center, but yeah. now it's the pregnancy center, the Haven, which is an after-abortion care clinic, and sole purpose yeah. ministries that they do at UT. So she's doing all the things, and she's just a great human being, and she loves Jesus a whole bunch. So. Mm-hmm. Excited for her to speak to you guys tonight. Thank you. Thank you. It's super, super good to be back. Um, happy Father's Day. Jimmy's in there with your kids, so who knows? Who knows what's happening? <laughs> the pastors with the kids. Um, I mean, it's it's such a blessing um, to just be back with. Um, you guys again. Um, this church is super special um, to my heart and I love that you guys are setting aside this time to be able to just come and to sit at his feet and to encounter him and to be encountered by him. Um, and it really um, is what I feel um, it's so complimentary to what the Lord has been speaking to me personally about and what I want to just share um, with you guys. But before we do that, one of the practices that I have been um, walking in that has just been uh, really good um, and something that I want to invite us into um, tonight for just a little bit and something that I, you know, I want to challenge you. I love worship. I love worship. I love worship music. I I just love worship. I love what we just did. I feel like I could do that um, for eternity, which is good because that's actually what we're going to be doing for eternity. When people are like, oh yeah, I don't like long worship. I'm like, you have another thing coming to you because <laughs> that's all this is about. Um, but I read a quote recently Um, that I've been kind of sitting um, on and meditating on and it's um, that all the evil of this world can be traced back to man's inability to sit in silence. So all evil in this world can be traced back to man's inability to sit in silence. And You know, there is scripture to back that up that talks about in quietness and confidence we find our salvation. And a few weeks ago, I, um, as I've been kind of attempting to sit in solitude and sit in silence, which if you guys don't do it, it's really difficult. So I would, I would sit and I'd be like, oh man, it's been 10 minutes. And I would look at my phone and it's been like two minutes. (laughs) Um, That we live in a world that's so counterproductive to silence and solitude. And um, it's been a challenge. It's been a challenge because I feel like my mind um, races. 
And it's like when we sit in silence, all the stuff that's been like here, <laughs> all of a sudden like comes to here. <laughs> and it's like, you know, we're absorbing so much all the time. You know, I love the song that we sang about like clearing out the clutter. And um, I was having this thought where I'm like, I feel like this would be easier if I would just turn music on, which totally defeats the purpose of sitting in silence if there's music on. But I was like having this, you know, mental dilemma in my mind where I'm like, I could probably sit here for hours if like Bridget could be like playing behind my silence. Um, and I felt like the Lord so tenderly said, Savannah, if you only know how to connect with me when there's music, worship has become an idol. And I was so struck by the fact that something that's so good that he created for us to connect with him. You know, Misty Edwards in Kansas City, you know, would say, um, you know, someone would get up and teach something and, you know, people would grasp like half of it. And then she would get up and sing the exact same thing. And like all this revelation would come. Like there's something about music that connects with our hearts and it bypasses our mind but our connection with God has to be so much greater than that which we sing and so I actually just want to take just a few minutes just for us to just sit in some silence and um, I will tell you one of the things that I have found is um, easy for me is to um, pick an attribute of God in fact somebody today said I like to start with A, and he's like, I like to go through the whole entire alphabet, and I just like to pick one word, <laughs> like A is awesome, and B is beautiful, and C is creative, and he said, I just go through the whole entire alphabet, and I just meditate on the attributes of God, and sometimes he says, I get to like, you know, this one letter, and I just can't get past that um, attribute. Um, and so for me, I found um, in Revelation 4 and 5, um, when you read that, it actually depicts what's happening in heaven right now. Um, and it, it says that um, there is uh, a sea of glass, and on that sea of glass, there is a throne. Um, and that throne is covered by an emerald rainbow and the one who sits on it has um, eyes like fire and it begins to talk about the beauty of Jesus and I found that that's a really good place as we as we um, start to uh, develop a process of just sitting and setting our affections on him in solitude that that meditating on that place that we were created and so we're just going to take a couple um, of minutes and I promise I'm not going to make you sit here for too too long but I believe that there's a grace is um, this is something that I've um, working through in my mind I believe that there's a grace for us and so Jesus we just want to set our attention and our affection on you in this moment and we're so grateful for the gift of worship but right now, Jesus, we just want to set our affection and our attention on you.
Jesus, we thank you for the ability to sit in your presence. You're so beautiful. Everything about you is beautiful. God, and I just pray for a grace, God, that my friends would take time to sit in your presence to behold you in your beauty. And I thank you that there's a gift of the confidence of our salvation when we press into silence and solitude, that there you make our hearts and our minds secure in salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I think as I was just sitting there, I was thinking about the passage that in Psalms that talks about um, that deep cries out to deep. And I think as we make space to, to sit in solitude and to practice solitude, that I believe that that's really where deep calls out to deep. When we give him that space, the deep things of God cry out to the deep things in us. And I, mean, I would just encourage you to continue to practice that, that there is, I believe um, we are in a season. Um, this is not prophetic. It's obvious that we are in um, the great falling away. That is, it is obvious and apparent that um, the love of many is growing cold. Um, and um, that, that should weigh heavy that should weigh heavy on us. Um, but I also believe that in the midst of that, that for those who are leaned in and who are undistracted and unrelenting, I believe that there's such a grace where God is freely pouring out his spirit because he sees those that in an age where people are drawn away by other lovers and easily distracted and living in compromise for those that have a pure heart and clean hands i believe that the veil is so thin like he's pouring himself out so freely on people who have that desire and who are um you know remaining steadfast in the middle of so much um and so I just encourage you guys that I really do believe that there's a grace to hear him like never before, to receive his love like never um, before. And that's how we stay hot as we see a cold world growing colder, that it is the fire of his presence that continues to tenderize our hearts. What I want to um, share with you guys um, tonight is um, a passage uh, where Jesus is talking to the disciples. And um, I, I'm going to share this, and I'm going to share it carefully because um, it's something that I'm like working through right now. Um, and I would say that it's probably not um, uh, theology as uh, something that may or may not be a possibility. And you can put it in the category of, we'll just find out when we get to heaven. Um, but my friend um, Grant, uh, he's my <coughs> worship leader. He's my friend. Um, he owns Rust Belt Coffee um, downtown. And we were talking about the verse that, um, you know, the disciples come back and they were like, we saw all these things and it was so awesome. And like Jesus has such a like different 
response. Like it wasn't this like affirming, like, well done, like great job. He says, like, basically, I'm paraphrasing, good, like great. However, he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning. And I don't, I, I think it was Grant, we were out to dinner, because this is what my friends and I sit around and <laughs> talk about at dinner. Grant said, do you know when, like, do you know when, when, what Jesus was talking about? And I'm like, well, yeah, he was talking about, you know, when Satan rebelled and, you know, he, Jesus witnessed uh, Satan and his legion being cast down, which is true. Jesus was there. And then Grant said, huh, because I've always wondered, like, if he's talking about the end times. And I was like, <laughs> whoa. Because really, if we think about it, in, from Genesis to Revelation, there's actually two accounts of Satan falling like lightning, right? The first is when he rebels against God and he and his legion are kicked out of heaven and he becomes the prince of the air. Um, but the second account is in the book of Revelation where he, for once and all, will also fall this time into the lake of fire. Savannah, why are you saying this? <laughs> Thanks for asking. So the reason and the thing that this has kind of been like warping my mind around, and again, I don't know which account Jesus is saying, but I do think it's interesting because we look at Jesus as fully man, sometimes I think it's hard to remember that he's also fully God. And so if he's also fully God, when Jesus speaks, He's not just speaking from the moment that he's currently in. He's actually speaking from the end of et from the end of eternity, which make whatever that means. So he actually speaks to us from from the end, but also in that moment. So we can when he says, "I saw Satan fall like lightning," like Jesus is actually already because he lives outside of time with the father who lives outside of time jesus is actually speaking have he's already been in that moment where he has seen the end but he's also speaking in this moment so he's walking he was already god so we know before he became fully man that he was fully god that he was one of the aspects of the trinity and he gave up being fully God and he entered into a new season of his life where he became fully God and fully man. That he'll never return to just being fully God, that he now has the identity of fully God and fully man. He's the only part of the Trinity that carries both the, the, the deity of God and also the humanity of man, which is why we relate so much to Jesus because he has taken that on. So he's in and he's talking to his uh, disciples in the gospel and he says, um, and, and on that day, it'll let it, you know, it'll be said, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. And, and the reason that, I, that I'm, that I've really rabbit holed into some like weird <laughs> spaces is I want you to hear that not just as you read it from the Gospels of the account that he actually stood with man and he talked about this, but also it's something that is also reverberating into your life today. 
And that's why, you know, probably every Christian funeral you've ever been to has probably mentioned or made sentiments of, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. And so the, the same way that that was true in the Gospels, it's also it's true for our lives today. But the beauty of this is that Jesus actually stands at the end of our lives and he proclaims that through his written word, seeing the end from the beginning. I mean, this is one of the beautiful mysteries. And I think that it's so important for us that when we're reading the word of God, that we're remembering that in the beginning was the word, Jesus, and the word was with God and the word was God. And so when we read, this is why the, the Bible is such a beautiful text. And when people read the Bible and they're like, it's boring, I'm like, you're boring. <laughs> no, when people read the Bible and they're like, it's just the word and like I'm not knocking on you know cessationalists or those that are that, that are you know believe the the literal word of God but man as as someone who has experienced the 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 rhema word of God so the logos is the written word of God the rhema is when you take that logos and you twist that door and you walk into the revelation that's true for you behind that I always like to say that the word of God the written word is like the the walls of this room and you know we can hang out and only discover the word of god like this <laughs> i promise i won't break anything you know where we're only going against the parameters of the wall but look how much space there is that when we read a text there's actually this like whole if you think about it as a, a fence of a pasture there's like this whole green pasture behind the written word that's just waiting for us to be discovered. And the beauty is, is that yes, he was at the beginning, that the word of God that we read, that everything that's been penned on paper, that was the spirit of prophecy through Jesus, he was at the beginning and he stands at the end and everything that he says according to his word is from both of those, those perspectives. Well done, good and faithful. But here's the thing I want to challenge us on tonight. Is that it's well done, good and faithful, not well done, good and fruitful. And we hear a lot of people right now that are talking about fruit. And fruit is so good. I love, I love fruit. You know, I think that the life of a believer should be one that bears fruit. But my fear is, is that we're in an age where people have become so obsessed with the fruit that we've forgotten about being faithful. That in the end, he's not going to look at us and say, well done, good and fruitful servant. He's going to look at us and say, well done, good and faithful servant. And I think because we've become so infatuated with the fruit, we have people that are standing in barren season of their life and they're actually being faithful. But because our world is so obsessed with fruit, our churches are so obsessed with fruit, they feel like they've been abandoned by God or that they're being punished by God. But here's the deal. Fruitfulness can be a result of faithfulness. 
I think that when we look at a believer's life and we see genuine fruit, you know, we can attribute that to their faithfulness. But fruitfulness is not heaven's measuring stick for success. When we look at Job, why Job is such a mystery to us because we look at Job who was stripped of everything yet remained faithful. The measuring stick of heaven for success is faithfulness. And here's the deal. We are called to be faithful in seasons of harvest. We're called to be faithful. When he gives us much, we are called to be faithful with that. But we're also called to be faithful in seasons of barrenness. When the fields have been stripped and there's nothing there, we're called to be faithful. We are called to be faithful in the sunshine and we are called to be faithful in the storm. And here's the deal. Our job is to be faithful and his job is to produce what he sees fit. And I'm afraid that in a world where we become so focused on, on the, 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 the do for God, the fruit for God, uh, and when it becomes an obsession, we're actually willing to start manufacturing fruit that actually doesn't have anything to do with God. And I don't know about you guys, but I do not want to get to the end of the age and to stand before him with a bowl full of plastic fruit. I don't know if you guys have tried to bite. Have you guys ever been to somebody? My grandparents used to have this like elaborate fruit bowl on their table, like elaborate. Like the bananas were like painted so beautifully. They looked like real bananas. I think one of them even had like some brown spots on it, but it was all fake. And I remember I would, you know, when I was really little, like I would be so excited to see the like grapes that were pouring over the side and the bananas and the oranges. And I would grab one and like, you know, to my absolute devastation, it was all fake. It was all fake. And if we're pursuing doing the things of God versus the faithful life that he's called us to, we become so consumed with the result that we actually begin to compromise that, that what's really great about a real banana, we go, oh, we can just paint some brown spots on it and set it in a bowl and it's going to look like the real thing, but nothing on the inside is going to be the substance that makes it real. Jesus later calls this the whitewashed tomb, that it can look good, but what's on the inside isn't good. So what does faithfulness look like? I don't know about you guys, but I, I'm like, I get to the, at, at my house, I say, give me the bottom line. <laughs> give me the bottom line. <laughs> um, and this is, you know, this, this journey that I'm on where I'm, I'm, it's almost like I'm turning inward to, the, to the, the inner life and going, what does it look like to be faithful, Jesus? Because I've seen really, really big things that, that are beautiful and look like they're producing good fruit, but I've also seen really big things that then imploded. And I've seen small 
things, you know, women who are praying in their homes and are shaking all of eternity with their prayers and no one knows, no one knows that they're nameless, but Jesus counts them as mighty in his kingdom. So I've been wrestling, like, what does it look like to be faithful? And these are three things that I believe are are the, the acts that we pursue to walk in faithful. And the first is a heart that is yielded to love. Faithfulness looks like a heart that is yielded in love. This is what God says in the Old Testament, right? Where they're burning all of these sacrifices. I think it's Isaiah and there's so much injustice happening and so much sin and they're like just keep throwing carcasses on the fire like just keep the smoke going just keep the fire burning and god goes i desire obedience not sacrifice and i think we can get trapped in this uh you know exterior uh, a focus of love where if I just show up more and I serve more and I do more and I just keep throwing carcasses on the fire but Jesus is going I just want you to be obedient to me I'm really just looking for obedience and I've come to the conclusion so I have um, you know some of you guys are probably familiar with Bella Vida, which is formerly the Pregnancy Center and when I came it was you know a small ministry that was floundering and God has blessed it and it's it's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger and it's awesome like it's just so good um, and I have the opportunity to travel um, the country and speak to other pregnancy centers and encourage other centers and I'm seeing uh, my heart is that that people would begin to dream with God for their city. And I'm, I'm watching ministries lean in and begin to dream for their cities. And God is blessing it. Um, and probably about five years ago when I had the opportunity, or maybe four years ago, when I had the opportunity to start doing this, I would have this like weird sensation where I would like go and I would like speak at a conference and then I would come home and I would have to like fold my husband's laundry. And I'm like... This is a weird life. Like last week, I was like standing on a stage in front of like 2,000 people and like now I'm folding underwear, Jesus. Like, and I actually, if I'm honest, I began to resent the, the, the mundane because I would have these like really high highs and then I would come home and I'm like, I feel fulfilled there. <laughs> this just feels annoying. <laughs> like, Grocery shopping, Monday night at 7 p.m. just feels annoying, Jesus. And this is, what, this is what I realized, that I have way more opportunities to be faithful in the small than I will ever have in the big. When we count our whole entire lives, like when you stretch out the entirety of your life, you will have way more opportunity to be faithful in the mundane than you will ever have in the large, in the big. Like those things are mountaintops and that is awesome. You know, whatever that, that translates for your life. But I have found that there is such a sweet aroma that when I come and I'm faithful and I wash dishes and I prepare dinner and I serve my staff and I get up and I make sure that, that things are organized, all that stuff behind the, the scenes that nobody else sees, I have found that that is such a pleasing aroma 
to the Lord. And I believe the Lord is saying, do not despise the small. Just don't despise the small. That the Lord is so pleased by our day-by-day faithfulness. And I think when we read the Bible, like it's so chock full of the, the good and the big and the glorious. But the reality is, is that every single one of those individuals actually just lived a normal life semi. I mean, they got to walk with Jesus. But like, this is why I like the chosen so much because I loved seeing the like humanity, you know, of them, like, you know, having to like love their wives and, you know, go out and do their jobs, fishing and collecting things from the market and like the things that we don't think about when we read the word of God. And I, I realized that, that in, in the smallness, in the, the mundane, that it's actually, that is where the challenge of faithfulness is that, that this life isn't this like race to the, to the top of the mountain, that it's actually a day by day. Like to me, the yes that Jesus honors is a day by day consistency where we stay in love with Jesus from the moment that we meet him. It's like a marriage, like the marriages that I love to like watch and learn from around me are people that are like still in love with each other in their like 70s and 80s. And it's not like, and a lot of them like aren't these like super like flashy, like showy, like they're just, they're just people that love each other and have somehow figured out how to wake up every single day and just say yes to the commitment that they've made. And I think that we've become so um, high-minded that like faithfulness is doing these big things for Jesus and look like there are big things that he will use some of us to do for him. But it's the reality of faithfulness. It's just waking up every day going, whatever I do today, Jesus, can I, can I love you? Can I be loved by you? And can I glorify your name? But that is faithfulness. And part of a heart that's yielded in love is trusting that the leadership of Jesus is perfect. That Jesus' leadership is perfect. That when we yield our, our hearts to his, we're saying, you are the great leader. That your way is perfect. That everything you do is perfect. And here's what I found. As I've fallen in love with Jesus and as as there are things that I've just said no to in my life you know I've had well-meaning people that are like Sina you're just being religious and this is what the Holy Spirit said to me probably like a decade ago he said obedience will look religious to those that don't know intimacy obedience looks like religion to people who are just you know taken off a box But true obedience comes from a heart of love that says your leadership is perfect. And Jesus, I just, I love you so much that I just want to do what is right in your eyes. A heart that's yielded to love chooses obedience. And here's the deal, nothing is wasted. Like I am just so convinced without a shadow of a doubt that we're going to get to heaven and there's not going to be one moment 
where we chose to walk in obedience and walk in righteousness and and to follow Jesus, that we're going to turn around and go, that was a regret. I regretted that one. There's not, like, nothing is going to be wasted. That those moments of obedience, like those moments where... um, I don't, I don't want to pick on my marriage. I have great, great marriage. But, you know, I think marriage is a perfect test of humility and holiness and flesh. Um, but in those moments where, like, I want to, like, choose to, you know, exercise my will or to get the last word or, and I just say to myself, like, you know, what? I'm not, I'm not going to do that. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to release that. Like, I don't have to win this. Like, I know I'm right. Just kidding. I don't have to like say the final word or I'm going to go this extra step that like none of those things are wasted. And I think we can fall into a trap with with faithfulness. Again, those the, those the day by day in the mundane faithfulness is we can begin to say, does this even matter? Does it really, really matter? And, you know, the world around us is is dark and it's getting darker and you know it's continuing you know I, I hear believers go well you know it's just gonna go to hell in a handbasket which is such an odd <laughs> such an odd mental picture um but the rea- and they're going like what's it what's it worth like what is it worth to you know engage you know into into press in and to intercede and to pray and to fast and to love um you know Jesus and to show up and be faithful like what is it even uh, worth and I am here to tell you that when we look at it from the ex- the uh, perspective of eternity, that Jesus is actually already standing at the end of your finish line. And if you would just hear him go, it is absolutely worth it. It is so absolutely worth it. And I am just so convinced that you're going to get there and you're not going to regret the time that you gave, the money that you gave, the love that you gave, the way that you sacrificed, the way that you honored. If anything, you know, and I don't know how this is going to work, but I think there will be twinges of, I should have given more. I should have leaned in more. I should have, like, you're going to see him. He's going to stand there. And the fact that, like, in our complete wretched, you know, wretchedness, that he's going to say, well done. In that moment, I think, and I don't think it'll be regret, because I don't believe that regret can exist in the place of love. But I think we'll have this moment where we realize, oh, Jesus, I would have given you everything if I would have known how good this was going to be. And I want to live like I just constantly try. And this is what, you know, that 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 place of like, you know, in the beginning and also at the end, the alpha and the omega, that I think the more that we encounter and understand that he who speaks to us in this moment is speaking, also standing at the finish line, that that should push us in those moments to go, I'm going to give a little bit more. I'm going to lean in a little bit more. I'm going to love a little bit more. I'm going to spend more time. There's nothing that's wasted. And it's going to look foolish to the people around you. There is nothing that will bring out religiosity in people more than love. <laughs> it's just, 
it does and that's okay you know because here's the other thing i a while ago i was really really frustrated in a relationship because i wanted this person to like understand this thing and jesus said to me he said Svena, do not hold other people accountable for the revelation that i gave you like just don't do it like pray for them that they would receive that revelation but you can't hold people accountable to the revelation that God's given other people but as you pour yourself out we sing it as you pour your life out people are going to have opinions but I promise you you are not going to get to the end of the age and regret that a heart that's yielded in love becomes a resting place for God a resting place for God. What does that mean in Psalm? It talks about, David writes, I don't give sleep to my eyes. I don't, I don't even lay down in my bed until I have prepared a resting place for the Lord. And, and David was talking about when he penned that Psalm, the Ark of the Covenant was gone. It was with the other people. They had lost it in a battle. And David is, is wrestling through this notion of like, I must bring back the dwelling because the ark was the new, uh, sorry, Old Testament uh, 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 mystery of the presence of God. Like they didn't have the gift that we have now. Um, but what that, that, that illustration means, because we don't live in God's you know, presence in a box anymore, <laughs> that we've become the ark of his presence we've become that when we lean into the cry of david's heart and we say man i want you to i want you to have a resting place here it means that our our lives are so surrendered and so submitted and so yielded that he doesn't have to wrestle with us that's the posture that we're 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 looking for and we're moving towards is that we would be so yielded to him that he could land his presence on us and not have to wrestle us in that place that is what becoming a resting place for the spirit of god is and i believe that it is it is something that we should pursue our whole entire lives. And I believe that we can walk into and attain levels of full resting place for God. I believe that with my whole entire heart because I don't believe that he gives us unattainable. Um, I don't believe that he gives us unattainable goals or unattainable steps. When he says that I desire that I would dwell with you. Right? That's what Jesus says. I in, in John 17, I want to be, I want them to be with us and one as you and I are one. Like Jesus and the Father had full uh, communion, full ability. And when Jesus is saying that, he doesn't say that knowing that that's like an unattainable thing for us. Like when he prays about the unity of intimacy, he's actually giving us a roadmap that it's possible. It's possible for us to be one with him as they're one together. We want to be a resting place. And I believe that when our hearts are yielded in love, when we strip away our desires and our, our, our wills, that we actually become a habitation instead of a visitation. A visitation is when the Lord puts his presence on us and then it goes. 
And we have those moments, right, where we feel the presence of God in such a beautiful and strong way, and we know that his presence was with us. And then all of a sudden, like five minutes later, you're like in traffic and you're like, where did it go? You know, you leave your house and you're, you're alone time with the Lord and you're like five minutes in your car and you're like, I don't even know if I'm saved anymore. <laughs> like, it happens to us. But I believe that a heart that is yielded in love moves away from just a visitation and becomes a habitation a habitation where the Lord can move into every compartments of our heart every compartment of our mind that he gets full reign and full control that this is what faithfulness looks like it's a heart that's yielded in love it also looks like a mind that's engaged with his mind it's a mind engaged with his mind and I had this epiphany recently where um, when we talk about the humanity of God like or the humanity of Jesus we know that he had a full body like hands and eyes and feet and fingers and he had blood coursing through his vein that's what he spilled out for us um, but I had this epiphany that I was like Jesus also had a mind like Jesus had a brain. And we talk about we put on the mind of Christ, but I think sometimes we just think of that more in like a um, like a doctrinal thing than like realizing that like Jesus ascended to heaven, still fully God and fully man with his mind, just like you and I have a mind. And that way that like we engage the world with our mind, that we actually, our minds can engage the mind of Christ, that we actually can connect mind to mind, that we can walk with him through the, the cool of our days and we can actually communicate to him on a level where he can speak into the every moment day by day that faithfulness looks like having a mind that in moments where we need um, answers that we don't just try and figure it out in our own humanity <laughs> like we spend so much time just trying to figure out things in our own brain and if we would actually just engage with the mind of christ who knows everything like this has even been revolutionary to our ministry where like you know people are like oh savannah there's gonna be abortion forever and i'm like maybe however like jesus i know very little we just had a trivia night <laughs> as a fundraiser and i spelled kentucky kentucky with a d like I have a lot of things that a lot of normal people would know in their mind that I just don't know in my mind. And spelling is one of them. And like, I don't, I walked away from college. I don't have a college degree. But here is what I realized that Jesus is so smart. He is so smart and he has strategy for every single situation. And so, why would I try in my own humanness? to figure this thing out when I can actually just engage with the mind of Jesus. And like for our ministry, this has been revolutionary where we're like, Jesus, we don't have the answers to ending abortion in our community and in our country and in our world. Like we don't have the answers, but you do. You know exactly how to take off the head of this Goliath. And so why would I spend my life trying to figure something out that he has every 
answer for. And this isn't just something that's ministry-wide. Like the beauty of this is that it's actually the tool that helps us walk in faithfulness. I recently had, uh, like as recent as this morning, had a situation where I'm incredibly, I'm incredibly frustrated in this situation. I'm like, Jesus, I'm on a walk. Take a walk with the Lord every single morning. And I'm on my walk with the Lord. And I'm like, Jesus, I am so frustrated. And he just so clearly spoke and said, if you would just give up control and pick up the towel, you wouldn't be frustrated anymore. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so, that's it. Like I am frustrated because I'm trying to control this situation and ultimately Jesus, you're in control. And so the beauty of this is that I can actually relinquish control of this situation to you. I, rep I repent for taking on manipulation and pride as if I was in control of this situation. And I relinquish that to you, Jesus. And I am so thankful that you are in control. And I choose today to pick up the servant's towel and to wrap it around my side and to serve and know as I am serving, you are in control, that you are ultimately in control. And this is why I believe so many believers are walking in defeat because we're simply just not engaging with the mind of Christ. I think one of the most spectacular verses in the Bible is that we will walk into his presence and he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. I think that is like, that is top tier scripture for me. Like I love that everything in my life is culminating to a day where I'm gonna walk into the presence of Jesus and he is gonna, the audacity, the audacity of my wretchedness that he would still choose to look at me and say, well done. On the contrary, I think one of the most terrifying scriptures is where Jesus again in the gospel was talking about how many will come in that day and said, I did all of these things. All of these things, did I not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out devils? And he's gonna look at them and say, I don't know you. I don't know you. That there are people, and I've had days and weeks and, oh, to my shame, even months where I have walked in this isolation where I have thought that somehow I have the ability to do this on my own and I have disengaged my mind from his mind. When he says, I didn't know you. That's there's no like hidden word behind that. Like he literally means I just didn't know you. Like we did not know each other. Like the knowing with our minds. He didn't know them. That there was no mind to mind and in 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 uh person to person interaction that we can let our 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 days become weeks and our weeks become months and our months become years where we somehow got to a place where we know how to do ministry and we know how to do marriage and we know how to do worship and we know how to preach and we know how to lead and we know how to teach and we know how to raise our children and we disengage our mind but i believe that that faithfulness looks like someone who through a lifetime continues to engage person to person, mind to mind. Faithfulness looks like a heart that is yielded in love, a mind that is engaged with him, and I believe eyes that are locked with his. 
I have been thinking, and I probably could have Googled it. It would have been an interesting Google, Google search. The movie where the Ethiopian pirates get on the board, the ship, they take over. What movie is it? Anybody? Do you guys know what I'm talking about? What movie is it? You don't remember? Anybody? It does have Tom Hanks in it. So do you remember when he, he the like, the captain, the like little skinny Ethiopian captain gets on board and he's like, he's like, look at me. Look at, don't look at him, look at me. <laughs> and as I was thinking about being with you here tonight, I feel like that's really the heart of Jesus where like people are so fixated on everything else. Like, how are we going to, and these are good things. Like we're not talking about the world, right? Like they need Jesus <laughs> for sure. We're not talking about them. We're talking about people that are inside of the church and our eyes are so fixated everywhere else. And, you know, especially, you know, when, you know, we get these like spikes and they're like economic or political or there's a social injustice and, you know, the church is dizzied looking around going like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And I feel like Jesus is like, hey, just look at me. Just look at me. Like you're trying to figure all this out, but just look at me. And the reality, the travesty, the reality is, is that Many are looking everywhere else except for the one place that matters. His eyes are like flames of fire. And there is something about, first of all, like we were made to gaze on him. Like when you read, I would challenge you, if you have not read Revelation 4 and 5, I would challenge you to read Revelation 4 and 5 between 4 and 5 times a day. It is such a power-packed two chapters because it talks about the, the, the throne room of God and it talks about Jesus, the lover of our soul. And then it goes on at the end of chapter 5 into chapter 6. That's where all authority is handed to Jesus, where he has the ability to open the scrolls and to exercise perfect judgment over the earth. But this is where we were meant to gaze, that the eyes of our souls were meant to be locked on the beauty realm of Jesus. And why? Because we become what we behold. We become what we behold. The more that we set our eyes on the things of this world, this is why the church is so anxious right now. Because that out there is anxious. That is a weird, anxious hell. <laughs> but the reality is, is that in his presence, it is so grounding and that place that we were made to gaze, that it, it centers everything that we are. Here's the deal. Like, we're so focused on, like, what he's called us to do. And, you know, maybe this is um, symptomatic of, of younger generations, but I feel like I'm hearing so much, like, I just need to figure out what I'm called to do. You are called to gaze on Jesus and spend your whole life being faithful to him. 
That's what we're called to do. And yes, there are people who have individual callings on their life, but I am afraid that we have become so fixated on the calling that we forget the one who's calling. The one who is calling. And there's no calling that will ever replace the the, the lamp of our first love, Jesus. And I don't want to get there and be like, hey, I did all these great things and like, my lamp is literally out. My lamp has no oil in it that, that, I, that I don't recognize him because I've missed the true and the right and the good. It's, it, this isn't like shutting ourselves behind closed doors and going like, I'm just going to spend my whole entire life with Jesus and nothing else matters. That's not what this is. What it is is trusting that when we lock eyes with Jesus, that he's going to produce what he sees fit from your life. That when your heart is yielded in love, when you say, Jesus, I love you and I am surrendering my life in love to you, when your mind is engaged with him, and when your eyes are locked in intimacy with his where you are gazing on him he will use you like people will come to me and they're like I just want to know how to be used by God and I'm like love him just fall in love with him and he's gonna use you and the good news is is that it will be real fruit it will be an anointing that actually knows how to solve all of this but we are so fixated on solving all of that and then giving him the sloppy second leftovers of our service. When in reality, the garden and the creation was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit flowing in so much love for one another that it spilled out and they said, come, let us make man in our image. Why? So that they could love, so that they could be in fellowship, so that they could enjoy one another. If I only spend my life doing things for my husband and not living in friendship, in love, in intimacy with him. I did not have love. (laughs) I was literally just a hired housekeeper. We do not want to become the hired housekeepers of the house of God. We were made to commune and to be in fellowship with him and what feels like fruit that is lacking the substance just in mass <laughs> where we look at at a culture that feels like it is a train through the kingdom i believe that god is raising people up who will not look at conquering the world, (laughs) taking over the world, building the next platform, the next ministry, but are looking at a day-by-day life that is yielded to him in intimacy, a mind that is engaged with his, 
and that he begins to transform the world around you in ways that you don't even realize it. This is like when Peter was walking through the village and his shadow was healing people. I want to walk through places and be so connected to Jesus that he can just, his will can just exude from my life because I've become a resting place for him. Would you just put your, if you're in this place and you're like, man, I want to, I want to lean into being faithful. Would you just put your hand over your heart? Jesus. We want to be faithful. And right now we just yield our hearts in love. We just yield our hearts in love. And when it becomes hard, I pray that you would encounter us with your love again. For ones who are feeling the hardness, I just sense that some of you feel like I'm, I'm being faithful, but I feel like I'm just trudging through mud right now. God, I pray that you would just encounter them with your love again. We yield our hearts to you, Jesus. I thank you that you truly are. You're worth it all. Jesus, you're worth it all. You're worth our smallest yeses, the, the, the yeses that we whisper from our hearts, that you're worthy of those. You're worthy of our loudest yeses, but Jesus, you're worth our yes in the mundane. We yield our hearts. Jesus, we do not want a visitation. We want a holy habitation. We ask that you would make us a place where your presence can dwell. When you just put your hand over your mind. Jesus, we repent for our own pride and thinking that we can somehow figure this thing out on our own. We are like sheep without a shepherd. We do not want to get through this whole life relying on our own minds, our own gifts, our own intellect. And Jesus, we do not want to stand before you and hear that you never knew us. 
So we choose to humble ourselves. God, I pray for a discipline to engage with your mind, not just in a five-minute devotional, but throughout our whole entire days, that our minds would be engaged with your mind. Jesus, we thank you that your mind is beautiful, that your thoughts are higher than our thoughts, that your ways are higher than our ways. God, and I thank you for every situation in this room that you have the answer. Jesus, I pray that we would hear you. Thank you, Jesus. Would you just put your hands over your eyes? The eyes are a powerful thing. I think I told this story the last time I was here that there was a, a, a dentist that was asked, or I'm um, sorry, an um, um, optometrist that was asked about a creature that would have eyes all over its head or over all over its body. What would that mean? And the optometrist said. It would mean that that was the smartest creature because all of those eyes have to translate back to the brain. And, and the question was coming about the four living creature who have eyes all over their bodies. And the reality is, is that the most intellectual creatures that were ever created stand in one room and look at one person and say one word for all of eternity. Holy is the Lord. Holy is the Lord. And if these creatures, these most intelligent creatures can be enamored by one room and one person and one word. And I feel like for us, before we ask him to, to lock eyes with us, I feel like specifically that you need to repent for what you've set your gaze on. And, and it's not even... You know, I feel like our minds go, well, I'm not looking at pornography. And if you're looking at pornography, you should repent for that. But what have you set your gaze on? Is it social media? Is it the TV? Is it a show? Is it other people? Is it the news? Just take a moment just before him in your heart and just repent. He just says, you were made to gaze on something much more beautiful. Jesus, we want to lock eyes with you. We declare that you are so beautiful. Your eyes are like flames of fire. 
God, I pray that gazing on you would become a daily part of our lifestyle, that we would sit and that we would gaze upon your beauty and that we would be transformed from the inside out. God, would you just open your hands before him? Jesus, we just want to be found faithful. We just want to be found faithful, Jesus. Jesus, you are so faithful. You've been so faithful for us. What a gift to return even an ounce of faithfulness a life, a wretched life in faithfulness back to you. And our hearts yearn that one day we will step in to your presence and we'll see you face to face. With unveiled eyes, we'll see you. And our heart's desire is to hear well done, good and faithful servant. God, would you set eternity on our minds and on our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, email us at office at or go to our website, washingtonchurch.org.